by far the most common metaphor in Scripture for the church is that we are the body of Christ. We are called to represent Jesus in our community as a caring, serving, loving, selfless group of people. Paul himself writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and here's what he says. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews and some Gentiles. Some are slaves and some are free. But we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yet the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, does that make it any less a part of the body? And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part of the body just where he wants it. How strange our bodies would be if they had just one part. Yeah, there are a lot of parts, but there is only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, hey, I don't need you. In fact, Some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable, well, those are the ones we clothe with greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that shouldn't be seen, while the more honorable parts, well, they don't require that special care. God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. That makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffered, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part's honored, then all the parts are glad. All of you, all of you are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Well, good morning, everybody. We are in the final week of our series we've been doing called Design for More, and we're talking about spiritual gifts. And it seems like this passage that I just read may have been triggered by some jealousy or arguing in the church at Corinth about spiritual gifts, uh, arguing about which one mattered most, or maybe there were some people who were using their gifts in the church there, and they were getting a little more praise, a little more attention, a little more upfront time because they were using their gifts. And so for whatever reason, Paul just launches into this teaching about how we ought to function as a church and he compares that to the human body. Now, gratefully, uh, it's not a real complicated passage to understand. It's why I like teaching on it. Um, It's easy for me. But it's a little more tricky to live out. In order to do that, we have to first understand a very, very, very basic truth, and it is pretty clear in the Bible, and that is who's in charge. The Bible's really clear that the head of the body, the head of the church, is Jesus. 
people can get confused about that one. I've been in some churches where they were confused. Maybe you have too. Uh, I've been a part of some two dozen churches, best as I can recall, in my lifetime. A few of those churches had a very different idea about who was in charge. Uh, Looking back, some of those scenarios are comical now. They weren't comical then. They were painful to live through. Um, But from a distance, when I look back on them now, they're comical and they're actually just a little bit sad. You know, when churches get confused about that. I remember in one church that I served in a long time ago, there was one guy in the church who made it his ambition to get on the leadership team of the church. He had a very clear goal once he got on that leadership team, and it was to reverse every single decision that had been made by the current leadership team over the previous two years. He was a lot of fun to be around. Um, and he, it was really clear that he was coming on to be the head of the church. Um, it was just what he was going to do. It was painful once he got on the leadership team. Uh, in other churches that I've been in, wielding control had less to do with a title or an official position in the church. In some of those churches, it was about influence. And influence could be wielded by you know, people who had been longtime or founding members of the church. Or it could be wielded by being significant donors to the church. And everybody in the church knew who that person was. They might not hold a position, but you, they knew you couldn't make any kind of a move in the church unless you got their buy-in. And so in those churches, people were fighting over power and authority and control over the church. Who was really in charge? And I think God calls the church to a different style of leadership and structure than that. Different than what we see in the marketplace. Different than what we see in the world around us. If we want to function as his body. Jesus talked a lot less about power than he did about servanthood. Jesus talked less about authority and more about loving each other when he talked about the church. He talked about being a caring community. And as far as the question about who's really in charge of the church, it's settled pretty clearly in Scripture. Paul writes in Colossians, the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In Him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He's talking about the supremacy of Christ above all things on earth. And he says because of that supremacy, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Paul says it's not any man or woman that's the head of this body. It's Jesus. And he says that over and over again in his writings. It's Jesus' words, it's his spirit, it's his direction. That's what should be guiding the church. Pastors aren't the head of the church. Leaders and teachers aren't the head of the church. The role of pastors, teachers, and leaders are to help the parts of the body respond to the head. 
to Jesus. To help people connect deeply with Jesus. To learn to listen to Him. To learn to follow Him. That's how we move forward together as one body. It's kind of simple. The church grows when the body stays connected to the head. It's kind of how our bodies work, right? Bodies don't do too well when they're not connected to the head. Growth happens when we have leaders who are connected to Jesus. When they spend time in the Word, when they spend time praying for the church. And I am thankful that we have a leadership team like that here at Westridge. There's no divas, no prima donnas, no power-hungry people. Trust me. They're all just humble leaders who are leading ministries in the church, following God's leading for Westridge together. And when we get that right, when we understand that Jesus is the head, then we get the fact that we're all just members of the body, and we all have a key role to play. Paul had a really strong sense of humor. Okay? If you don't pick that up from 1 Corinthians 12, I, just, I don't know where else you're going to see it. So you have to picture him writing this out, this tongue-in-cheek monologue. And i got to believe that there were people around him while he was writing. And Paul just kind of kicked back and went, okay, let's play this out. You know, let's just, let's just laugh and talk about this one. How, what would happen if all the body parts rebelled? And I'll bet they just had a long conversation, laughed, and he wrote down a little bit of it in 1 Corinthians 12. I kind of thought about this week what that would be like if our body parts started to rebel with the winter we had, you know, and they're still having, you know, like they're forecasting two to three inches of snow Tuesday night. Thanks, right? Aren't you glad you came to church and heard that? Um, so what would it be like if your feet rebelled against your hands after the winter we've had? You know, and your feet could talk. I don't know that I want my feet to talk. Um, but your feet said, look, I'm just jealous of you to the hands. You're out all day. You're out in the open. You get to do and feel so much more than me. Your experiences are so much more exciting. I mean, seriously, as feet, my experience is over after the morning shower. I get shoved in a pair of socks, and then I get put back in the same stinky boots I've been in all winter. Really. Do you know how hungry I am for a pair of sandals? Just let my toes breathe. It's been a long time since I've seen sandals. And let's be realistic. Hands, you don't get anywhere to do any of the things you get to do without me. But have you stopped to thank me? No. Have you rubbed me lately to help me feel better for all the things I do to you? No. So I'm done. D-O-N-E, done. I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm going to stay home today. You go wherever you can get without me. I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm checking out. I mean, that's the kind of stuff Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 12. This out-and-out out rebellion of one body part against another. It's really kind of funny what he's saying. Because there's jealousy here. There's one body part thinking the other's getting too much recognition, too much attention, too much fill-in-the-blank. And this extreme language he uses, the sarcasm he uses, is punctuated by a statement in verse 18 when he says... But in fact, God has put every part of the body just where he wants it to be. God's designed our bodies in a pretty incredible way. And we know a little about our bodies. 
We know the major organs. We know what the lungs are supposed to do, what the heart's supposed to do. You know a little more if you're in the medical field or if you've had some kind of an illness and you've had to get in touch with the medical field. There's whole areas of our body that we don't know anything about. I mean, I don't encourage this, but you can type in obscure body parts in Google. In fact, I would encourage you not to do that based on what I found by typing that in this week. And I apologize in the first service to Bob Bacchus, who you know, oversees our IT here for what I did to the firewall with that search this week at church. But you can find out some pretty amazing things about the human body by typing that in. So let me share some of what I found. Your nose can remember 50,000 distinct smells. It's pretty fascinating. Your sneezes regularly exceed more than 100 miles an hour. I was hoping all week long that one of you would sneeze right at that point. (laughs) That's why, that speed, that's why you can't sneeze with your eyes open. Otherwise, your eyeballs would do that crazy thing you see in cartoons where they just go, okay? Now you're going to try. You're just going to try. I know you will, okay? You shed, now we're going to drift to the gross side, you shed 600,000 Skin particles, an hour. That's the way your skin regenerates and keeps it looking young-ish. Okay? So I did a little calculation. Average attendance on Sunday morning in this room means that during the time that I'm giving this talk, we will collectively shed 3.75 billion skin particles in this room. It's all the more uh, benefit for sitting in the mezzanine. They're going to fall down. That is not dust you see on the floor when you leave. Between first service and you, we probably have three extra people who will be left behind this morning in this room. Uh, Your salivary glands churn out about two liters of saliva a day. In a lifetime, you put out enough saliva to fill two swimming pools. I think I was in that pool at a Motel 6 once. Um, But without it, yeah, yeah, this is disgusting, isn't it? Uh, Without it, you could never taste anything. Okay? And then here's the last one. I love this one. I couldn't resist it. Yeah, I know. You ready for it? Karen, you want to leave now or you want to hang around? All right. If you rub garlic on the soles of your feet, then in, in less than an hour, it will be detected on your breath. How is that? Now, that's, that is not true if you are of Italian descent. <laughs> because you pretty much smell like garlic all the time anyway. Okay, but that's true. Our bodies are made in amazing ways. God has wired us up incredibly. All of those things have to do with parts of our body that we would consider what Paul said to be weaker, less honorable. Parts of your body that until I talked about them just now, you probably never really gave much thought. Probably really didn't want to think about. 
you know, a swimming pool full of saliva. Those are parts of our body that just do their job. Thousands of times a day. They respond. They do what they're supposed to do. And the only way you would know they're there is if they stopped working. Like your gallbladder. It doesn't mean that they're any less important. They function with humility. What Martin Luther called appropriate smallness. They just do what they're designed to do. Nothing more. Last week I mentioned that these verses that we're working through come out of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, the largest single teaching in the Bible on our spiritual gifts. It's in that context that Paul paints this image of the body being the church, being a body. Each one of us is a part of the body. Each one of us has a role to play. And corresponding to that role, God has given us, he's selected for us a spiritual gift. And when we discover our gifts and the role that he has for us to play, it brings kind of a relief in our lives. It gives us a freedom to do what he's designed us to do. And to stop pretending we're something we're not. Stop trying to be something that somebody else thinks we should be. And just be what God has created us to be. I think there, is, there are some incredible things that God has for Westridge to do in this community. I think he has great plans for us. If he didn't, then when we ran into financial trouble four years ago, he would have just let us close the doors and cease to exist. But he didn't. He brought us through that. And we're continuing to grow. And and there are great things going on. God has great things planned for us. And I believe that every single one of you has a part to play in that. That's why you're here. We each have talents. We each have gifts that God has hand-selected for us. Some of you may be great teachers. You might be a gifted musician. You may have gifts of compassion that will take you to serve the poor and the needy. You may have a gift of hospitality and enjoy preparing food for people or having people into your home. You might have the gift of encouragement or mercy. You may have one or more of the dozens of gifts that God has for you. And whatever your gift is, there are dozens of ways that it can be expressed. We serve an incredibly creative God. But there is something unique, a mixture of gifts and an expression of those gifts that you were designed to contribute in this world that no one else can do. You matter in a very real and practical sense to what God has called Westridge to do. So the real question is this, what is it that God is asking you to do with your gifts? It may be something that no one else has ever thought about doing at Westridge. Something that could have an incredible impact, a dream that you've never voiced to anyone. I think something different happens inside of us when we discover our gifts when we unleash that, unleash that passion, that dream that God has given us, and we serve based out of that, 
versus somebody recruiting us to serve in a place in the church. When we serve out of our gifts and our passion, I think we start to serve out of love. Paul wraps up his teaching in 1 Corinthians 12 with this phrase, and I love it. He says, now let me show you a way of life that's best of all. And what flows on then is 1 Corinthians 13. Now, a lot of us are familiar with that passage. It's the love chapter is what it often gets called. And it's used a lot in very familiar settings, most often in weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. Lots of characteristics about love. And that's very appropriate to use there. But remember, it is in the context of Paul's teaching about spiritual gifts, how we serve. And Paul caps off that 1 Corinthians 13 teaching by saying this, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. Those verses in 1 Corinthians 13 aren't just about relationships, about loving each other. He's talking about what motivates us to serve, how we serve other people, and how we treat the people around us while we're serving. It's all to be driven by a heart of love. Hmm. About a year ago, we taught a spiritual gifts workshop here at Westridge. We're going to teach it again the end of April, the 25th and 26th. It's on a Friday night, Saturday morning. I can't encourage you strongly enough to come be a part of that. It's so freeing once you figure out what your gifts are and what God's designed you to do. But we taught it a year ago. And we were talking about this very thing, about passion and what God's planted in your heart that you could do. And how when He designs you that way and puts a passion in your heart and you pursue it, it really helps you meet needs in the body in a way that's just so freeing. It's what verse 25 talks about when Paul says, doing that makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. A few weeks after we finished the workshop, uh, Jerry Whetstone, who's been coming to Westridge for a while, came up to me and, and just asked to talk for a few minutes. He said, you know, as a result of that workshop, God's really just put a burden on my heart that we need to do something for the people in our church who are going through divorce or are separated from their spouse. He had some ideas, he had some thoughts, but wasn't real sure how to get it started. Wasn't exactly what sure what it would look like in the end. But he had a very clear sense from God that we needed to do something. And he was willing to engage in the journey to figure it all out. So we went through a lot of prayer, went through a lot of conversations, and Jerry did a lot of work. The result was that we pulled together a really good leadership team. And about a month ago, we launched Divorce Care. It's a support group that meets on Monday nights, 630 And it offers biblical guidance and care and support to people who are separated and going through divorce. The majority of the people who come to it don't even go to Westridge. It's an outreach into the community. And I can tell you that when that group gets together every Monday night, 
there is nobody in the room has a bigger smile on their face, has more of a sense of fulfillment than Jerry. He's found his mission. He's not doing it because somebody strong-armed him. Somebody recruited him and said, you know, I need you to do this. He's serving out of love. He's using his gift. He's doing what God designed him to do. That's how God designed the church to function. He wants to physically demonstrate his love, his grace, his compassion, his caring to a broken world through us. And I can assure you that when we're willing, God uses all the diverse parts of his body. God uses the weak parts and he uses the strong parts. He uses the parts that we look at and go, those parts are honorable. And he uses the parts that we would look at and say, those are less honorable. He uses the parts that love to be up front and get recognition. He uses the parts that would just as soon stay behind the scenes, be comfortable if their name was never mentioned and they never got recognized at all. God uses people who are willing to respond to his Holy Spirit, to the passion that the Spirit puts in their heart, to the dream and the vision that he plants there. And God coordinates all of those unique gifts, brings them all together to accomplish his dream in this world. So the only question really isn't whether he's gifted you, whether he's put a passion in your heart. The only real question that remains is what is God asking you to do?